Alrighty guys and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I am your host Justin Jackson and today's episode we'll be talking about the NBA and the WNBA with their respective bubbles. We'll be talking about a little NFL news, some MLB, touch on the NCAA and we'll have our best for last. Now I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty guys and welcome back. Now, like I said, we're going to start off today's episode talking about the WNBA and the NBA. Now, the NBA, we're going to start there, has been great. We've seen great signs from a lot of people. We've got historical performances from Michael Porter Jr. being the first rookie in Denver Nuggets history to average 30 and 10 in two games. And that's crazy. Went for 30 and like 12 and we were like okay that's cool then he goes for 30 and 15 and everybody's like oh my god we got something to michael porter but he was the number one player coming out of high school and he's going to missouri having a back issue they tried to get him on the court in the sec championship game didn't work tried to get him on the court for the first game in the ncaa tournament that didn't work either and so basically we didn't see him for a year and he slipped just like bobo due to injury just like joel and b before them although not as far due to injury. But Michael Porter was one of the purest scorers in high school over the last 15 years. I mean, he's six foot 10. He's got range to the NBA three-point line. He can get to the rim, obviously. He's a rebounder. Mike Malone won't play you if you won't crash the glass, especially at that size. And he gives a lot of heart and a lot of effort. And this isn't shocking. I think he's a walking 25 points per game once he gets into the NBA rhythm, into the NBA flow. I think Bowl Bowl, speaking on Denver Nuggets, is a situation where he could be a flash in the pan guy, where I don't really see consistent big numbers from him. I mean, sure, he'll be a highlight reel. He'll make a great pass or he'll block five shots in a game or he might hit three or four threes in a game. But I don't see him being a consistent 25, 30 minute of game player. He can be a great bench player, great role player, but I just don't see him being a consistent piece. As opposed to Michael Porter, who I think could be a great piece and the guy to ultimately lead Denver to where they want to be and be the third member of the big three with Jokic, Murray, and like I said, Michael Porter. We've had some shockers stand out. I mean, TJ Warren's averaging like 40 right now in the bubble. He had 53 one game and has a couple of 30 pointers on his resume. I mean, he's averaging basically 40 points on 60% shooting. He is firing and striking from everywhere. And then you've got teams that are starting to round in the form a little bit. You can see signs of the Bucks when they turn it on and they can really just throttle for about five or six minutes just to show everybody, okay, we're still here. You see the Raptors and their championship DNA from last season. A lot of those guys are stepping up. You had Kyle Lowry with a monster performance against the Lakers with 33 points and 14 rebounds. And then the next game, Fred Van Vliet sets his career high with 37, if memory serves me correctly. So you see a lot of those guys in Toronto playing championship level defense and they're showing their offense as well. And that they're competing at a high level and want to win another championship. Then you've got Phoenix. Phoenix is the only undefeated team in the bubble. I mean, they were like the last team in the West that would allow in being six game back because they had a realistic mathematical chance of getting in. Well, they're charging right now. And with the injury to Jaron Jackson Jr. for the Memphis Grizzlies and out for the season, Phoenix is a real contender for the eighth or the ninth spot to get into the play-in tournament to possibly get into the playoffs for the right to face the Lakers. 
Now, speaking on those Lakers, they are struggling. They're shooting the worst in the bubble, it appears. And they can't throw a brick in the ocean and standing on the beach. It's rough. I mean, LeBron is looking like he's trying to figure out how to play point guard again. I mean, he's very passive. He's trying to kick the shooters. The shooters aren't making the shots. Anthony Davis is 43 points, one game, monster, best player on the floor. And then the next game, he scores like 10. It's very up and down. LeBron's numbers have been consistently off. They've been about 21 points a game. He'll get you about six or seven rebounds. He'll get you four or five assists, but his numbers are routinely down. But if you watch the game, you can tell it's not really a different LeBron. It's not as aggressive. I can see that. And not having the floor general in Rajon Rondo or a consistent point guard option like Alice Caruso consistently playing big minutes. You can see he's thinking pass first a lot of time. He'll go down the lane and instead of putting his shoulder down to get through a guy to finish at the rim, he'll glance to one of the corners or glance to the wing. And that small hesitation is the difference in the NBA as opposed to getting a layup dunk, which you should get, or being contested at the rim and ultimately having to kick out and reset the offense, take a bad jump or things of that nature. The Clippers. They are not as smooth as they could be right now. Paul George is striking, but Kawhi looks a little off. Maybe his knees are starting to bother him a little bit. He did have four and a half months off, but now they're playing games at an expedited rate. So I wouldn't be shocked to see if he gets time off. We're starting to see time off already. Speaking of LeBron, he sat out the Rockets game with a growing pull. And Russell Westbrook ultimately sitting out as well with a hamstring issue. Now, I'm not sure if this is legitimately injuries or if this just second game of a back-to-back in a condensed situation and the teams are saving their best players. Now, Anthony Davis is a toss-up as well as any other key players for the Lakers or the Rockets. As of this time, they have not been ruled out for any injury reason, but I'm sure we'll start to see rest players. I mean, we just saw Giannis against the Nets play 16 minutes and the Nets Gave it to the Bucks, but you can tell Mike Budenholzer had decided before the game, Giannis is going to give me his usual minutes in the first half, and then he's done. Chris Middleton also sat down for the vast majority of the second half. And you can tell guys like LeBron and Giannis, and even you can tell Anthony Davis a little bit, have all but resigned to saying, okay, we have the first seed, or we have our seed locked in. So at this point, let's just get to the playoffs healthy. We don't know who we're going to play, but we know we're the first seed. And seeding does not matter as much with no home court advantage. Because let's say, okay, the Clippers are the two seed. If they fall to the three seed, the only thing that changes for them is their opponent. It's not like they have to have a different travel plans. It's not like they have to have anything really different with their routine. The only thing that would change, like I said, would be their physical opponent on the court when it's their time to take the floor in one of the three arenas on the Disney property. So with seeding not being as big of an issue, having those guys ready and healthy and in a rhythm is more important. So that's why you see the Lakers playing extended minutes for Deion Waiters. You see them trying to get J.R. Smith on the floor. I expect a lot of Markeith Morris tonight because when you have guys that are trying to get in a rhythm and get back into basketball, you'll need those guys to be ready come playoff time. So having that being said, I'm seeing a lot of different lineups from a lot of different contending teams. I mean, we saw Denver, when they first got into the bubble, bust out the giant lineup. They didn't have anybody on the court in the starting lineup shorter than six foot eight, which given the versatility of Jokic and other players on the roster, is something that they can do. 
So legitimately, they can play Jokic, who's a seven footer. Bowl Bowl is seven foot two. Michael Porter is six foot ten. So that's three guys automatically that's six foot ten or taller. Throw in Jamal Murray, who's six foot four, and then add in whoever you want as your fifth. And you've got a pretty big lineup that can still everybody put the ball on the floor. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can attack the rim. And everybody has the ability to play defense. Minus Nikola Jokic. He's not the best defender on the planet. And Michael Porter Jr. has the size too, but I'm not sure in the NBA he will be a high-level defender. But it's been a great first week back. An amazing first week back of the NBA. I am so glad that this is going off without a hitch. They have not had a positive test since the bubble became locked down. Even with Lou Will going to Magic City, that's why they have the quarantine protocols in place because when you leave the bubble, even if you contract it and you come back into the bubble, you get tested every day from four to 10 days before you go back into the general population. And so that way there's no positive tests or any outbreaks that are happening inside the NBA bubble. But now we're going to shift a little bit to the WNBA and going on their wobble. Their season has been great so far. I commend them, the WNBA, along with ESPN and other networks for pushing the WNBA to be on TV a lot more this year. That is huge. The ratings have been up, so clearly the fans are supporting it. And when it comes to gameplay, I mean, the play on the floor has been great. Now, they're playing a much more condensed schedule than the NBA. So the NBA is running every other day during the seeding games, which, I mean, not necessarily every other day, but like the Lakers had a back-to-back, but then they might not play for two days. Their schedule's pretty much been every other day. But then once the playoffs start, they're going to go to the regular playoff schedule. So they might not play for two days in between games, things like that. It'll be a more normal-ish NBA schedule. Now, the WNBA last season scheduled 46% of their games just about on one day rest. So where you would play Tuesday, rest Wednesday, play Thursday. That only happened less than half the time. This season, they're going to play 75%, give or take, of their games on that one day rest. So most of the season, they're going to play four games in a week or three games in a week, depending on how it falls. And that is a big adjustment. We see end of games, especially games that are not that closely contested, a lot of walking or slow jogging on rebounds and things of that nature because the ladies are trying to find spots to rest on the floor. And who can blame them? I mean, they were off for four and a half months. A lot of them didn't have their overseas conditioning when they come right into the WNBA fully ready to go. And so when you have situations like that, it's not surprising where end of games, you know, somebody's up 10, two minutes left. The team that's down 10 is just packing it in and trying not to get injured. And they're jogging up and down the floor. The action slows down, but that's to be expected. Now, they have a great environment in the sound stages at IMG. So they built courts out of the sound stages or in the sound stages. Rather, they're adding in a DJ for a little music while the game's going on. So it's not completely silent, except during a free throw. It's a little creepy where you saw all the faces of the players and stuff, and nobody's making a sound while somebody's bouncing a ball for a free throw. That's pretty weird. But other than that, the WNBA is having a great presentation, and they're having good basketball. The teams you expect to be good are good, and the teams you expect to be not so good aren't that good. I mean, you look at the East. You've got Chicago sitting on top, and followed by Washington, and then you've got a log jam in the middle with Indiana and Atlanta, and the Sun and Liberty are struggling. And then you go to the West, And you have Seattle and Minnesota at the top, 
followed by the Sparks and the Mercury, and the Aces all logjam, and even the Dallas Wings are only a game from having that logjam with the Sparks, Mercury, and Aces. So, per usual, the West is better. You got a lot more talent, a lot more stars out in the West, but you've got some scrappy young teams like Atlanta led by Kennedy Carter, and you've got even Dallas is a good program right now out West, and so these teams are scrambling. Washington's trying to hold up without Atlanta Deladon, and they're doing pretty well out east. So the WNBA is looking great. I am really proud of them for how they put everything together. But up next, we'll be shifting to the NFL, talking about what's going on there. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And now we're gonna talk a little bit about what's going on in the National Football League. Now their opt-out deadline was Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So they end up having a total of 66 players opting out, which is a little over one full roster. So a little over 132nd of the league, call it 130th of the league, decided to opt out of this NFL season. So when a player opts out, they get a cash advance on next season salary and this season tolls. So in essence, if you were supposed to make $8 million this year and $8.5 million next year, you had two years left in your contract and you decide, hey, it's not worth the risk, I'm just gonna opt out. Well, you opt out this season and your contract tolls, which means this season gets moved to next season and next season gets moved to the year after that. So the 150 grand you would get if you're not high risk or the 350 grand you would get if you're high risk is an advance on next season salary, which is really this season salary. So you come completely off the books for your team. You get an advance on next year's salary. So you get 150 grand or 350 grand and your contract gets moved, gets kicked down the line a year. So if you got two years left and you're thinking, hey, I may not be in the best of shape or whatever the case may be, you know, family issues completely understand. You say I'm out and you kick your contract down the line for a year. Now, there has been a little rumblings. A couple of big name players made some rumblings about the NFL season. Uh, first, Odell Beckham uh, had a quote leaked from the Wall Street Journal article that said he doesn't feel like it's safe and that he thinks it's a big money grab and he doesn't you know, believe that the NFL should have a season. But ultimately, he decided to not opt out, and I didn't like that optic. I wasn't a huge fan of that optic. Usually, I am a defender of Odell Beckham. Usually, Odell Beckham does something a little bit on the edge. I'm a fan, and I'm usually defending him. But this one, I wasn't defending because he didn't use the leverage he had. What I mean by that is, if you're going to make the statement of, if you don't believe that should be a season, and you don't believe that they're safe and that it's a big money grab and etc you can't turn around and then be like yeah but i'll be at training camp and i'll be playing the season you have the ability to opt out so that would show that you are putting your safety first like you said the nfl should and it would show that it's not a money grab instead of you guaranteeing yourself your salary this season you get it i mean you get an advance on it but you push it down the line and all the other stuff so I didn't like that at all, especially because he did not publicize these statements before being in the Wall Street Journal. He just said it to the Wall Street Journal article, and I'm not sure anything that what came positive out of it because he didn't choose to opt out. Now, Buffalo Bills cornerback Tredavious White, who is a top five corner in the league, had strongly debated opting out 
uh, as of Thursday morning, he sent out a tweet basically saying that, man, fans are really showing him their true colors because when he really started debating and it became publicized, he was debating opting out of this season. He was saying a lot of fans, specifically Bills fans, were really coming at him about him being selfish and stuff like that. And he was like, how could I be selfish when I'm trying to protect me and my family? And also his girlfriend's grandfather, I believe, passed away from COVID. So he said he's thinking about that and he's thinking about his future and things of that nature. And it's not like he's retiring from the game. He would simply be opting out and getting ready for next season. But ultimately, he decided to not opt out. I'm not really sure he opted in, but I guess he either did make up his mind before the deadline or he decided to play this season, you know, before the deadline. I'm sure the Bills were calling him every 15, 20 minutes, texting him something, saying, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, your deadline's coming up. So that was a couple of big names that made uh, some splashes. And but neither one decided to opt out. But both had concerns. I've heard a lot of guys have concerns like we've had Matt Stafford who was on the COVID list, was the new list that the NFL made that isn't truly like the injury list. It's like a non-football injury that they call it the COVID-19 list, which is where if you have a positive test or you're in close contact with a positive, you go on this list. Now we've had Detroit Lions quarterback Matt Stafford go on the list for a false positive. So he was off it in three days. And when I saw he came off of it, I was a little confused. I was like, okay, if he tested positive for COVID or had you know, close contact with the positive, the incubation stage is like three to four days. So, I mean, I feel like he'd be on the list for at least, you know, about a week just to make sure. Well, it turns out he had a false positive. And when he was taking negative tests right after that, he didn't have it. So that was a situation where the NFL realized they're going to have to clean that up. And also Gardner Minshew was on the COVID list for pretty much the same thing. I can't remember if it was a false positive or inconclusive result. But he was on the COVID list and came off of it very short period because ultimately he did not have the virus and that he shouldn't have been on the list to begin with. So the NFL is going to have their struggles. But if I'm the league, I am more safe than sorry. I'd rather be more safe than sorry. I'd rather have guys on the COVID list during camp and during practice week and off away from their team than having an outbreak because saying oh it's inconclusive let them play and then all of a sudden 50 guys in that game have COVID so that wrecks two teams and really four teams because in the next week those guys are at risk staffers are at risk at that point they're bringing it home to their families and the last thing the NFL needs is a COVID outbreak because they're already the league that gets their safety measures questions a lot through concussions and physical safety of the game to begin with now a little bit of roster news remember when cleveland browns tight end david and joku was like eh, there's a lot of people here a lot of talent i'm just i'm just gonna leave well he decided that he was gonna stay he apparently he had productive meetings with the cleveland browns gm and their management team and he ultimately decided to stay and that makes cleveland incredibly dangerous i mean they're pretty much got two of everything i mean they've got two good running backs kareem hunt and nick chubb they've got two good receivers odell beckham Jarvis landry they've got two good tight ends austin hooper david and joku they've got two good corners they've got two good pass rushers they've got two good safeties at this point i mean they have two of pretty much everything you need their offensive line's even beefed up 
and they've got Baker Mayfield, and they've got Kevin Stefanski. They even got two grown-ups in their front office and coaching now with their head coach and their GM. So I expect big things from Cleveland. Obviously, that's still Baltimore's division, and the opt-outs didn't really change a whole lot in regards to preseason predictions for that division or any division, really. I expect that Baltimore comes roaring out of that division. 14-2, 15-1. I will never, ever predict a team goes 16-0, but it wouldn't shock me. They got a lot of talent, and they're pissed. And when you got a team that's disrespected, that's a very talented team, they are a very dangerous football team. That style already punches everyone in the mouth because you can't replicate it. Lamar Jackson's the fastest person on the field. You'd have to put your cornerback at quarterback to try and replicate it in practice or your running back at quarterback. But then again, he can't throw like Lamar can. So you can never replicate this true style. You can never teach your practice squad in time to be effective and to give you a really good look. And they're pissed. You hear Lamar talking about, I don't care about the contract. I need to get to the Super Bowl. I don't care about the money. I need to get to the Super Bowl. And then I can start talking like Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes already has the ring on his finger. But I think Baltimore comes roaring out of that division. Like I said, 14-2, and 15-1. I will never predict the team goes undefeated. Too many freak things happen in NFL week to week. A team gets hot, scores four touchdowns in the first quarter, and the game's over. So they're going to come out of that division. And then you look at the contract situation shifting a little bit to Deshaun Watson. He still doesn't have a deal. I'm not sure when that's going to get done. Honestly, I'm not even sure they're negotiating at this point because of how the salary cap may or may not be set up next season with it dipping no lower than 175. But if it does dip all the way down to 175, you don't want to give Deshaun Watson 38, 40, $42 million a year and start going into a lowered salary cap to begin with. So that'll be interesting to watch. But all in all, the NFL is gearing up for camp. You've got Tom Brady talking about how weird it is and how difficult it is to learn a new playbook. I mean, he hasn't done that in years. I mean, he did it a couple of times here and there when he had the Bill O'Brien as his OC or when Josh McDaniel was there, when Josh McDaniels was not there, when he was trying to coach the Denver Broncos. And you had early in Brady's career, obviously, before McDaniels got there that he had to learn a few different offenses. But for the past really decade, he's had Josh McDaniels. And so they added wrinkles or maybe they added little tricks and cuts to it, but that was the same basic offense with new plays in it. Now there's new terminology. It may be the exact same system, it's not, but it could be the same general system or the same general route combinations just with different terminology. So Brady's having to learn that on the fly. But this is going to be a great NFL season. The NFL is coming down a lot harder than Major League Baseball in terms of their punishments and their precautions in terms of making the season happen without a bubble. Obviously, you can't bubble 75 personnel members for 32 teams for 16 weeks plus the playoffs. That's too hard to do. Now, what I would suggest, I would suggest a mini bubble every week. So the Saints are doing this already in New Orleans. And they are going to put all their people in a hotel. So it's, it's, it's optional. They, Sean Payton's not forcing you know Drew Brees to leave his family to go to this hotel and be with the team 24-7. It's optional. So if you want a bubble environment and you feel like you'll be safer in that environment, you know, they rented out a hotel, basically. And they either got a room available to them, staffers, players, coaches. If you want to go to this hotel and be in a bubble, you can be there. They've created a bubble. 
I was thinking that the NFL could do a mini bubble every week. Tests are usually coming back within 24 hours, especially professional level tests. We've seen in Major League Baseball, if they test Tuesday morning, sometimes they get their results Tuesday night, no later than Wednesday morning, it's announced to the public what the results were. So maybe that since if you play a game on Sunday, Friday is the normal travel day, Saturday is a walkthrough day, stuff like that. So pretty much your main, last main practice would be Wednesday. So you start the COVID testing that week on Tuesday. You get it back Wednesday. You go into the bubble environment on Wednesday. So from Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, you are with your family. So then Wednesday night, Thursday morning, you're in the bubble, but you're testing, COVID testing, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every day up to the time you leave. Anybody who tests positive, they leave the bubble, they go home and they're quarantined for two weeks. That way that eliminates some chance of a massive COVID spread on the plane or just in the locker room. Obviously you get tested Friday and Saturday, you play the game on Sunday, you get tested again on Tuesday and you start the process over. Having individual bubbles or having what I would call mini bubbles is better than trying to bubble everyone in one city because that's almost impossible to do unless you go to Vegas and even then they don't have enough free hotels to bubble all those people. Well, you can just do it with mini bubbles and that way everybody has a chance to be in a bubble. I guess you don't have to make it mandatory, although I would advise you would. And then you have the best chance of making the NFL season happen. You only have to travel eight times. So you can theoretically bubble at home if you really, really stick to it for the eight home games. And then you go play football. I think that they have a great chance of finishing because of the NFL's stick to And Roger Goodell ruling with the iron fist, he can just flat out mandate certain things happen. So I'm really excited to see how they do that. And up next, we're going to talk about Major League Baseball. Alrighty guys, and we are back. So, Major League Baseball has been struggling. Uh, It's not surprising. I mean, they have the strongest players union. Usually when you let players decide their own futures, it goes well short term, but not necessarily long term. See, baseball's players union fought back against the idea of a bubble in Arizona. They rejected it before it was even a plan. It was like a thought of a plan. And they were like, nope, we're not doing that. Not doing that. And then they look at Major League Baseball like, well, take our demands and have this masterful safety measure. They had one, a bubble. You told them them no. So now we've had outbreaks on a couple of teams. We've had the Marlins, obviously, with their really bad outbreak. The Phillies have had a mini outbreak. And we've had guys flat out now, even though they're in the season, say, you know, I'm going to opt out. The biggest story being Jonas Cespedes of the New York Mets. He basically opted out without telling the team. I mean, they got onto the facility for the game and they were like, yo, where's Jonas? And they sent security to his hotel room and he had packed everything and left. And then his agent called and said, yeah, he's opting out the rest of the season because these guys just flat out don't feel safe sometimes. I am surprised we haven't had bigger names opt out. Maybe Major League Baseball is asking them, you know, hey, just push your issues aside. And we haven't had any really, really bad league-wide outbreaks yet. Obviously, we've had a couple of teams get it, but nothing super horrible. So I guess Major League Baseball might be talking to the Aaron Judges of the world, who's absolutely on fire right now with the Yankees. Talking to Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, 
Bryce Harper, some of these other big names about staying in and trying to drive TV ratings for baseball since there's no fans in the stands. Now, when you're looking at teams that are rolling right now, you've got, like I said, the Yankees. You've got a lot of the best teams really rolling at this moment. So baseball is chugging along. And in regards to confidence in their season, I'm not sure that that is possible. I mean, they don't have a bubble. They refuse the bubble. And they even the thought of any extra mandated pressure is being rejected. So when you've got teams like the Yankees who are rolling, the Twins are rolling, the Oakland A's are on fire, the Miami Marlins, for the games they've played so far, all six of them are five and one. The Chicago Cubs are being great. And then you've got the Rockies and the Dodgers and the Padres are all looking really, really good right now, along with the Atlanta Braves. So it's going to be very interesting when it gets to playoff time, if we get there, which I believe we will. I believe Rob Manfred will trudge through this season as long as he's still got players willing to play. And so a lot of times now people are going to go, well, you can't do raw wins because not everybody's going to play the full 60 games. Now, I'm sure they'll try and do, you know, seven inning double headers with the Marlins a lot of the time to try and steal some of their games back to try and make it closer. But it seems to be that they are going to go on win percentage. So that is probably the best way to do it. It's just straight up win percentage. If we got the six or eight highest win percentages, that's who gets in the playoffs. No harm, no foul. Everybody goes home from there. That's a fair way to go, I suppose. But if you look at the Yankees, who have not had any COVID situations and all their games pretty much have been going off without a hitch, they've already played, you know, 11, 12 games so far. The Marlins have played six. So what if there's a team that has a couple of canceled series and they play 10, 12 less games than somebody else and they have a higher percentage than a team that played more games, then you would basically reward the teams that had the COVID outbreak. And that's honestly a little weird to me, but I suppose winning percentage is the best way to go about handling the situation. But I do believe that baseball will finish their season. It's going to be rough. It's not going to look like anything we've seen in baseball. I mean, they're putting digital fans in the stands for ESPN games, and then they show the replay, and there's no fans. So it looks a little normal when they have, you know, sometimes some of the stadiums even putting cardboard cutouts of fans along where the TV cameras show all the time. So that looks a little normal because as long as you're not staring at the fan, you don't really realize they're cardboard, if that makes sense. And then you see like Aaron Judge smack the home run against the Red Sox on ESPN. And it goes into like a sea of virtual fans. And it looks pretty normal. And then you see the replay and you're like, oh, there's nobody there. He just hit that into like metal bleachers. And it's like the weirdest thing ever. But it is chugging along. Like I said, Rob Manfred has the ability and the confidence that he's going to power through this thing, if any and all possible. And up next, we are going to transition to the NCAA very quickly. Just talk about a few of the things they've got going on in regards to college football. All righty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to talk a little bit about college football and what they've got going on. So as we know, a lot of the conferences went to conference-only schedules. Now, there wasn't a turn of movement for a couple of the conferences, like the ACC, that basically went from 12 games with four non-conference and eight conference to 11 games with 10 conference and one non-conference. 
And I think that was done in a big part to keep Notre Dame, who they allowed to basically run the normal conference schedule like an ACC team. And it also gave the ACC another team to pull from with Notre Dame being in the conference officially in football for a year. So the SEC followed suit. They're running 10 conference games with one non-conference game instead of the traditional eight and four split. The Big Ten has already released their schedule uh, with a few adjustments. Obviously, they're not playing any non-conference games. So their schedule has a little bit more space and wiggle room to maneuver in case, you know, there's a COVID cancellation. They can just move a game back, move a game around. They've installed bye weeks in their schedule. And they've moved games up. So, for instance, Michigan and Ohio State, known as the big game, is for the first time in decades, not in November. Now, Paul Feinbaum made the joke that now Jim Harbaugh can just lose to Ohio State earlier, which is funny because they supposedly had a spat between Jim Harbaugh, who's the head coach of Michigan, and Ryan Day, who's the head coach of Ohio State after taking over for Urban Meyer a couple years ago. They had a spat in a conference call where Ryan Day was talking and Jim Harbaugh interrupts Ryan Day to basically accuse him of cheating and breaking the rules, stating that they had on-field instruction from coaches to players, which at this time is illegal. And he quoted and directed it at a coach who used to be on the Michigan staff, who's now on the Ohio State staff, saying that he was talking to linebackers on the field, giving them on-field instruction, which, like I said, is illegal at this time. Now, the initial report saying that Ryan Day responded by basically saying that we hope that they install a mercy rule in conference play because we're going to try and beat them by 100 or hang 100 on them. And it turns out that was not said, although it was used as motivation to the team in regards to the robbery. Ohio State and Michigan is one of the biggest, best robberies in college football, and they're already coming at each other's necks early between the coaches. But in back to the scheduling, the... ACC and the SEC, along with the Big 12, are expected to announce their schedule soon. The Big 10 came out first, but they were also the first conference to make the decision to go to conference only. So we have had a few opt-outs. The NCAA did allow for opt-outs to happen for players if they decided to opt-out. I believe their contract holds. We haven't run into that situation yet. But we have had four top players, potential first-round picks, decide that, hey, they're going to opt out. Gregory Russo from my University of Miami, Micah Parsons from Penn State, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, and Rondell Moore from Purdue all have decided to opt out of this football season. Now, I'm sure COVID plays a part in that role, but I also am sure that draft stock does as well. If these guys are third or fourth round picks, maybe they decide to play because they need to improve their stock. But being pretty much locked first-round picks, They've decided to not risk injury smartly and not risk COVID probably equally as smartly in order to play another year of free college football. And they've decided to all prematurely, every last one of them, enter the 2021 NFL draft. So they're going to be ready to go. Now, LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, who won the Blitnikoff Award last season, decided to opt in. They spoke with his father. His father said there it wasn't even a discussion when he would try to mention it. To Jamar about sitting out, he would shut it down and say, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to talk like that. He's all in for the Tigers this season to try and go win another championship. So there is no deadline right now for college players to decide to opt out. Obviously, they're not even really into their legal practices yet. So obviously, the guys have plenty of time to make the decision to opt out or to opt in. 
but I expect to see more top players decide to opt out and college football will be affected. Although it's usually not on great teams. For instance, nobody had Miami as a championship contender. Nobody had Penn State as a championship contender, nor Minnesota, nor Purdue. So I don't think that it would really affect the top rankings, but we will see situations that are affected because schools may lose a game or two more than they normally would, especially with everybody playing conference only. You won't get the advantage of beating up, let's just say, on the smaller conference schools, on the group of five schools, or even FCS or Division II in some cases, because you'll have to play everyone in your conference, which is generally even play. A lot more even play. Obviously, there's kings at every conference, but the play is a lot even. And so you'll have that battle going on. And up next, we will shift to our best for last, the NBA's race for eighth. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And we're gonna do our best for last here. And we're gonna talk about the NBA's race for eighth. So as we know, the NBA has the bubble in which they brought back anybody within six games of the eighth spot in order to contend for the playoff position for the right to inevitably face the Lakers because the Lakers were two games away from clinching when the bubble started. So now that the NBA has been going for about a week, We have a lot of movement. Memphis has not won a game yet. They're suffering, and then they lost Jaron Jackson Jr., so their grip on eighth is very tenuous at best. Now, everyone inside of the bubble for the Western Conference is inside of two and a half games. So with four games left, almost anyone can be the eighth or the ninth seed. Now, the Pelicans are sitting last right now. They're struggling right now, trying to work Zion back in. But I believe they're going to get that fixed and they have the easiest remaining schedule. Portland is right there, right behind Memphis. They have a very tough schedule, however. Phoenix has come out of nowhere. They're Like I said, they're the only undefeated team in the bubble, winning their game Thursday, being 4-0. And they're absolutely on fire right now and have climbed all the way up. Sacramento and San Antonio are within a half game of Phoenix. So, I mean, this is a very tough battle. A cold week by Portland can drop them all the way out. Phoenix returns back down to earth. They can come all the way out. New Orleans can get hot, go three and one. Also, they might end up being the eighth seed if other teams start losing as well. And because they still have the Kings on their schedule, the Spurs on their schedule, and they have Magic and a relatively easy schedule other than that. So the NBA race for eighth is very tight. If you said right now, make a decision, who do you have fighting the eighth and the ninth seed for the play-in. I would have Portland at eighth and New Orleans at ninth. I just think that the Pelicans have too easy of a schedule relatively to everyone else to where they can get to the ninth seed and have to battle Portland. Now, in that play-in scenario, I would give it to Portland. They're a better team, and Portland would have to win one game. New Orleans would have to win two in a row in order for New Orleans to take the eighth seed and play the Lakers. So, in my opinion... I would have Portland making the eighth seed right now. But like I said, that could all change by next week. Because, like I said, Portland, Lord forbid, has an injury or that their schedule starts to get to them. Phoenix will turn back down to earth. We can see San Antonio, who's only a game back, get hot. They can go. New Orleans, like I said, can get hot and go. Sacramento's got a good ball club. As you just seen Thursday versus the Pelicans, they can score a lot of points. 
and they can get high and go themselves. So I am very interested in watching the rest of that race. But that is all we have for today. I thank you guys for joining us. Like I said earlier, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. I'm enjoying this. I'm loving doing this. I will be having guests relatively soon. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll start doing guests. I got to get that logistics set up. We're going to make that happen. I know you guys will be interested in that. If you have any topic suggestions, please let me know. And you follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports for breaking news and updates. I'm constantly updating that thing, constantly tweeting. When I find out something, I make sure that you find out right after me. And so I appreciate all the love and support. Again, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes. And I am your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. Mm-hmm.